welcome to Not Safe for Pod. Oh my god, Not Safe Publication, a podcast about the light side of research. Okay. <laughs> Hello, welcome to Not Safe for Publication. The PH, the pop. Oh <laughs> my god! <laughs> <laughs> like Write it out. Tell you what, Jess, I'm uh, You're having I'll a stroke. <laughs> Hello, welcome welcome to Not Safe Publication, a podcast about the lighter side of research. I'm Jess. And I'm Jolie. And this is David. Hello. I'm welcome David. to the podcast. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. So David, do you want to tell us a bit about your research? Yes, um, so I'm currently third year in a, a creative writing PhD. And I'm doing, uh, the research is all about uh, autism and uh, kind of the representation or the kind of intersection of autism and uh, science fiction and fantasy. Um, so I'm kind of looking, at, I'm doing two things basically. I'm writing a novel and I'm writing a thesis, which is an awful lot of work, um, but it's, that's what it is. Um, and the novel is a kind of sci-fi novel about autism and the research is all about how autism crosses over with sci-fi and fantasy. That sounds the idea. incredible. So what? So when you say a novel and a thesis, yeah. is that two 80,000-word publications? It's not, thankfully. Um, <laughs> the novel is supposed to be 80,000, although it is currently way over that, so I'm having to really cut it down, but such is, such is novel writing. Um, and the thesis is only supposed to be sort of between 30 and 50,000, so it's a considerably shorter thesis. But it's still a thesis, so I still have to research it and write it and condense all of my ideas down so it's still you know quite a big challenge so we do like we creative writing students especially if you're doing a novel we do end up writing quite a lot more words than everyone else which is quite the quite the daunting prospect but it's all right all right we're managing how do you manage your time around because you've got to be I write fantasy fiction in my spare time mm. and I know that it's like a full day of, of yeah. PhD and then you go home and you have to you're doing homework for the rest of your life. How do you yeah. balance that? That's been a, that's been actually a real challenge for me. Um, I, I didn't really have a plan when I first started about how I was going to balance it. I just thought, oh, I'll just do everything and it'll all be fine. But I sort of soon realised that I had to really... Because I'm kind of using two different parts of my brain when I'm doing the critical research and I'm doing the, the creative writing. It's two very different um, modes of focus, really. So I've had to do uh, quite a lot of balancing and do, you know, a, a, a month or so of doing critical research and writing and then put that aside and then do the novel for a, a month and just sort of switch back between the two. So there are periods of time when I'm not doing any research whatsoever and I'm just writing creatively and then and then there's a there's switch round which is I think I think it works out quite well ultimately because you end up if you're sort of burning out a little bit on one side of things you know it sort of it's nice to sort of just put that into a drawer for a while and go into something else completely and then work on that until you've burnt out and then switch back again so there's a kind of nice kind of back and forth which is good which has been useful and helpful yeah. I'm really interested in creative writing as a discipline and like mm. and getting a PhD in creative writing or any sort of qualification because there is a certain amount of subjectivity. Yeah, definitely. So how do you how do you work with your supervisors? Yeah, the subjectivity thing is a real it's still a bit of a mystery <laughs> to me like quite how this thing is going to be marked. I'm not sure, but um <laughs> Yeah, so I've got two supervisors, one who um, 
works on the creative side and one who works on the critical side. So I have uh, Dr. David Butler in the drama department who uh, helps me with the critical side of things, and he's been he's been wonderful. And then uh, Dr. Honor Gavin in the creative part, and Honor is a, a novelist as well. So she's just like looking at bits of the novel and feeding back on that, um, and helping me to sort of shape it and um, and change it, make it better. Um, but it, I mean, like, it's it's two very different experiences because I'm talking in in depth r- philosophical research with one, and then I'm talking about like sentence structure and and um, plot structure and stuff with the other. So mm-hmm. it's kind of. But then when they all come together for the kind of um, the panels and so and such, uh, the it's it's nice because like David who doesn't really normally do the creative side of things is kind of getting to see some of the novel and vice versa so it's kind of it's nice when the, all of all of that comes together as a kind of whole um, but I think it's been a bit of a learning curve for, for my supervisors as well because you know they're, they're having to balance out two different sides of things as well which is really interesting mm. but they seem to enjoy it which is good so I'm, I'm really curious to know does I mean, you've talked about them as being like little separate mm. bubbles that you're working in. But have you found that the the research side of it has influenced the writing side? Yeah, definitely. Hugely, actually, massively. And I always knew that would be the case. Um, it's quite interesting, really, with this PhD, because it's, it's slightly different, as I understand it, to some other creative writing PhDs, where you do, um, some, some others in different universities do a, a thesis which is about the creative piece, right? And that's not what I'm doing. I'm doing a creative piece and a separate thesis. But the two things do overlap, obviously, with the, the subject matters of, overlaps a lot. Um, and I made that quite a, a deliberate choice with that because I knew I wanted the novel to be a thoroughly researched novel and this was a way of doing that um, so yeah a lot of the reading that I've been doing for the critical thesis has, has, has had massive impact and in fact so much of an impact that it's made writing the novel a lot harder because um, <laughs> like, when I first started I was like oh yeah I've got this great idea for a novel and I just sort of hammered it all out and I all, all this first draft came out and then I, I was reading the research and I was thinking oh I, I'm kind of doing quite a lot of the stereotypes and the cliches that a lot of these people are talking about, so I'm having to think, ah, now, is there actually different ways of approaching this? So it's made the novel a lot more complicated, Mm -hmm. but probably, hopefully, fingers crossed, has made it much better than it it would have been. Um, But, yeah, I mean, it's a real challenge, because I can be like, oh, yeah, wow, I've just written this amazing scene, and then I'll read something, and I'll be like, oh, no, that doesn't work. (laughs) I'm now starting to think that, like, I want to write a PhD on my research, and not PhD, a novel, yeah. On my research, it sounds it. perfect because you're you'd be the expert. Yeah, totally. On, on whatever you are researching, surely. Um, well, that's the idea. It doesn't always yeah. quite work out like that, but it, yeah, 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 yeah. So, what's your novel about? So broadly speaking, it's about, um, it's kind of based, so my sister is autistic, so it's based on my sister, primarily. It's based on our relationship, really. So the novel, um, the main character of the novel is a guy called Leo, and he's sort of sort of based on me, kind of. And the main autistic character in the novel is uh, a woman called Teresa, and she's based on my sister. And it's about their, their siblings in the book as well, and it's about their relationship. And uh, basically, he becomes the carer for her. Um, after their parents die, so he becomes their, their carer. So it's a little bit of me thinking about what's kind of coming in my future, so, sort of, in a way. There's this weird kind of sci-fi element to it all as well, a kind of fantastical world, where I've got sort of a, created a version of the afterlife um, in the book, and a lot, large portions of the book are set in this, in this afterlife world. And it's the, it's the uh, job of the main character, Leo, 
it's his job to go into this place and rescue some of the ghosts that have been that have become stuck within this afterlife. And he goes in and he rescues autistic ghosts specifically. So it's and that was really a way of me trying to make it about my sister and about her kind of version of autism and about that, our relationship and so on, but also broaden it out and make it about autism much more widely. And the way I'm trying to do that is by, by sort of going into this fantastical world where there are these autistic ghosts that Leo encounters. And he encounters all sorts of different types of people, all sorts of different types of autistic people. And then the whole thing just becomes about a, a kind of... Supernatural, fantastical adventure when it all sort of becomes a, a bit of a crisis and 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 it all has to be resolved. It's a very, it's, it's a currently a very complicated book. I'm needing to simplify it a lot, but um, that's kind of the basic idea to it. Yeah. Uh, I actually I was going to ask you about mm. um, this idea of like fantasy and sci-fi. Mm. Um, do you think they're a really good way of exploring ideas to a broad audience? Because yeah. it takes us out a little bit from, yeah. from the daily life. Definitely, definitely. And I'm finding that uh, is definitely the case when approaching something like autism, actually. Because what's really interesting about autism is it's, 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 not, it's still not a particularly very well understood condition, I think. There's still a lot of, there's still a lot of myths out there about it. There's still quite a lot of ignorance. Um, and because it's all so vast and so complicated and it affects people in different, many different ways, um, it's become... I think it's become quite a challenge for um, kind of non-fantasy writers to approach it because it's such a such a big topic and that you can't really sort of get a grasp on it. And I think a lot of the cliches and stereotypes that come out of um, fictional film or TV that have that have emerged ab about the representation of autism have become because of that because it's because sort of like traditional modes of narrative have become almost a bit too restrictive to hold in this autism but something like fantasy sci-fi has a little bit more of a um a kind of more slightly more subversive and radical edge to it so you can start throwing strange things in there like you can start throwing ghosts or 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 invading aliens or whatever it is something that's something that's a bit odd and a bit weird and that seems to sort of connect i think quite well with the more mysterious side of autism in a way and so it gives you that gives hopefully i think gives me that kind of strange world in which to sort of start to explore things like the differences between autistic people or, or the expression of autistic people or that you know the kind of habits and behaviors mm. they don't get sort of hemmed in by restricted narratives but like kind of broadened out into these weird and fantastical worlds and that's part of what i'm trying to do with the novel and also what i'm trying to um argue in the thesis as well a little bit as well um yeah, it's kind of fascinating and amazing, and I can't really fully haven't got my head around it all yet. But there's something really productive, I think, about the fantastical um, mode that works well with autistic mm. um, way of being and autistic expression. I think. Yeah, because I guess you've got for me the mainstream representations of autism are things like Rain Man yeah. or Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime, yeah. and then you, it's known that. Um, women with autism get diagnosed much later in life or don't get diagnosed at all so I guess yep. you're also dealing with the gender aspect of autism aren't you? Yes a little bit yeah um, yeah I mean god like autism is just a f endlessly fascinating and you, you're right Rain Man and Curious Incident are the two classic um, texts that, that most people seem to know about um, and a lot of other uh, representations of autism just kind of have been spinning off Rain Man and Curious Incident um, and the problem with that is 
well, there's many, many problems with that. But one of the main problems with that recently has been that um, most representations of autism have been young, white, male, middle class, mm. kind of quirky and eccentric boys, basically. And, and that's become a real problem because then you're just sort of reducing autism down to this one cultural image, whereas it's much more complicated. And the, the, the gender thing is a, is a real issue. A lot of people. There's a there's a kind of stat that says that um, autism affects more more males than than females. But this is something that is being, I don't know. It's being disrupted a little bit, and it's being challenged. I think. I think in the scientific and medical community, it's still a fairly accepted um, ratio that there are more men than than women. Um, but there's a lot of I don't know. There's a lot of discomfort around that because it causes a lot of problems because then women don't get um, diagnosed properly as autistic. Like, GPs will think, oh, it can't be autism because they're female, so it must be something like schizophrenia or just depression or something mm -hmm. like that. And so it just becomes really problematic. And what we're getting now is a lot of older women being diagnosed as autistic um, who have always been autistic and just uh, this has never been recognised. And that being a a real weight off uh, of people's shoulders, of a, mm. a, a sort of discovery of themselves almost. It's amazing. And I'm reading a lot of... Um, a lot of uh, academic books, but also um, kind of memoirs and things like that written by older autistic women who are just talking about how their diagnosis of autism just suddenly makes makes them, helps them to make sense of their lives suddenly. It's really, yeah, it's a fascinating area. So I'm, I'm being careful to make sure that a lot, that I've got multiple autistic characters in the, in my book and that plenty of them are female. There's a couple that are people of non, uh, people of colour. Um, there are working class autistic people in there. So mm. it's like trying to, trying to sort of say, look, like autism is much more than just Rain Man or, or, <laughs> or um, Christopher Boone from Curious Incident, you know. It's much more complicated and vast than that, you know. I suppose you also have an advantage in that um, I think for most of us we have a very restricted readership of our thesis in the end mm. um, no matter how thrilling we think it is yeah. it, it, if you even if you manage to turn it into a, a book it's going to sit on a library shelf somewhere yeah. but you have this huge advantage in that presumably afterwards you, you're going to seek publication and get it out there yeah well hopefully that's the idea I mean that's obviously it's not a guarantee but it's um, the, the the department here are really good at, at making sure that we you know we go out and try and find agents and publishers and so on and they they're not interested in making us just create well I, I suppose some of us will create very esoteric books that, that only two people <laughs> in the world will read but like they're fine if that happens but they're very encouraging of saying well look if you're you're, you're writing a, a novel or a book of poetry or whatever it is so go out there and get it published and and fingers crossed if i can get the get it finished and and and, and get, be sort of happy with it then yeah that would be the next stage to try and get um try and get an agent try and get a publisher and what's great about that uh, about having done all that research is then like i just feel like i'd be so fully prepared to like promote this book and just be like yeah i, I know this stuff now i've been re you know researching it for three years three or four years um so that's a really exciting prospect and fingers that happens but it's even doing like a PhD in creative writing it's not a guarantee that it will end up getting published and 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 on the shelves but hopefully it will get in that direction at one point at some stage um, and that'll be super exciting if it does really good yeah fingers crossed <laughs> so how far along are you 
I'm in my third year of the PhD, and I'm in my th- I'm writing the third draft at the moment of the novel. So you haven't been sending any kind of book proposals out? To Not yet. Although I've been sort of thinking about it in the back of my head. You know, I'm I'm always thinking a little bit about the pitch of the book and like what, like the 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 brief of it, and and see if I can you know can make it viable uh, to for someone to publish. So yeah, I'm thinking about that at the moment. But I'm also in that stage where I'm just like I'm not happy with this thing yet, and it needs to be right before I can give yeah, it to anyone. You know. So what sort of so for the thesis side, yeah. what is what is your research kind of? Are you dealing with any kind of data there, or is it? No, it's all um, it's all uh, kind of uh, text based. It's all kind of um, uh, a textual analysis based. Right, okay. So like I come from my kind of my kind of uh, academic background is in film studies. So the thesis is effectively it's a film studies. Um, thesis because I'm looking at cinematic representations of autism and what screen representations of autism and um, yeah so it's more just like analyzing um, particular uh, film text it's using film theory quite a lot Um, so no there's not really any data which is I, I just I sort of when I came into it I sort of thought I don't really know what I'm doing with any of that kind of thing. Um, although I can really see the potential for for doing that, you know, to to really go out and sort of talk to autistic people about like their favourite sci-fi or why they like sci-fi or why they like fantasy. Such a thing would be would be a really interesting um, research topic, I think. Uh, but that wasn't my angle when I started it. So it's all just been um, reading a lot of writings by autistic people both academic and non-academic, and then, yeah, analysing texts, basically. Is there um, a big difference that you've noticed, because you, you said you've been reading um, a lot of autistic mm. um, memoirs and things like that. How, are there many autistic people already writing in fantasy and sci-fi? There are some, uh, and, and it's increasing, I think. What's interesting about sci-fi and fantasy, in a, in a weird kind of way, is that there isn't a huge amount, there aren't very many sci-fi fantasy texts out there that are actually about autism like when I say this to people everyone sort of stops and thinks yeah I can't think of any there are some but they're kind of a little bit slightly obscure although there are some someone some that are emerging now there's a there's one of my favorite autistic writers that um she's Canadian I think she's called Ada Hoffman and she's just written a um a wonderful science fiction novel called *The Outside*, which is this kind of cosmic horror, um, like Lovecraftian's far future sci-fi thing, which is wonderful. It's got a really good um, autistic protagonist and uh, lots of different autistic characters in there. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's. I, I think there will be a lot more of that very soon. I think there are writers that are emerging. Um, but I'm also reading quite a lot of just uh, yeah like non-fiction and, and non non-sci-fi non-fantasy works as well. Um, but it's interesting reading those and just sort of sort of picking up on slightly fantastical things here and there. There's a book called um, "The Electricity of Every Living Thing" by uh, a writer called Catherine May, which I read read last year. It's a wonderful book. It's a piece of um, nature writing, really. It's about how she got an autism diagnosis and then sort of learned how to deal with it by going on long walks around Cornwall and, and Devon and it was just really a beautiful piece of piece of writing but in there every now and again there's just these kind of little bits of expression where she sort of goes into these slightly fantastical ideas like the title of the thing is quite a fantastical idea um, so it's just really interesting to read those and sort of pick up on those moments really and sort of think yeah there you know there's there's a kind of yearning towards something slightly slightly more outside, something slightly more beyond than the kind of normal experience, so to speak. Do you find that 
what you're studying, do you have a community of other people within Manchester looking at the same things as you? Um, there aren't a huge amount of us, but um, there's one or two people. I, it's interesting. There's a there is a autism at Manchester network, um, which is a network of researchers looking at different things about autism um, within the M Manchester University. So not just this one, but also M Manchester Met and Salford and so on. Um, but that very much tends to be much more in the kind of medical, science, uh, mm -hmm. education side of things. And there's very few of us actually doing anything like this in the arts and humanities. If you start to go further afield, there are, there's, a, there's a couple of people I know up in Lancaster Uni who are doing some things. There's some really interesting um, disability studies uh, networks in Sheffield and in Liverpool as well. So there, there are people that are not too far away that are doing this work. I do sometimes feel like I'm like kind of the only person <laughs> doing anything like this in Manchester but it's interesting I did a I did a, a talk about my, about my research just a couple of days ago with the autism at Manchester people uh, and they were really really interested to hear about autism from a non-sciencey non-medically point of view um, because most of their work is in that field so um, yeah, I got to sort of do a talk and, and play clips of, of fantasy films and all this kind of stuff, and they were all just kind of like, wow, we didn't ever think of it like this. So that's nice. So I, I feel like I've got a nice little connection there, and, and um, I'm always on the lookout for other kind of arts and humanities people who might be doing these kinds of things. I do know other people who are doing work within, like, sci-fi and fantasy, which is always useful and helpful. Um, but yeah, autism is a, it's a curious field, really. It's it's been so dominated by medical and 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 scientific and kind of education areas that it, there's not been a huge amount done in the in the arts and humanities. But it, I think that is shifting and it's changing, and um, there's a lot more interest in that these days, which is good. I think I chose the right moment to do this. Mm -hmm. That's what that's been the overriding thing of this PhD. I thought, yeah, I've picked the right time to do this. You know, not too soon and not too late, which is good. Yeah, I mean, I think it sounds really interesting. Good. Yeah. <laughs> it's certainly a time when, I mean, fantasy and sci-fi uh, has for a very long time been at the forefront of challenging yeah. perceptions. We start with Ursula K. Le Guin. Yeah, definitely. Um, probably at the forefront of in her writing in the 60s and 70s, but mostly from a political standpoint. Mm. And now we're seeing this transition towards bringing in more diverse voices and and being disruptive about the narratives of who yeah. gets to be a protagonist and who gets to tell their stories in sci-fi and fantasy. Yeah, absolutely. You, you feel that you're part of that, that this trend? Well, hopefully, yeah. <laughs> I mean, hopefully, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. Like, sci-fi and fantasy have always... I mean, there is quite a lot of reactionary sci-fi and fantasy out there, but there's also... It, it does push agendas and it, it pushes at boundaries which is so, which is what's always been so thrilling about those those particular genres um, and yeah there's some really interesting writers doing some fascinating work in those areas at the moment and it's just getting ever ever more interesting ever more um, uh, fascinating uh, and hopefully yeah hopefully I can I can contribute my own little <laughs> um, entry into that field uh, um, but yeah, no, I'm, I will always champion sci-fi and fantasy as those genres where you can really play around with some great ideas. Ursula Le Guin's one of my favourite writers. I think she's wonderful. I recently read reread her um, her guide to writing, Steering the Craft, which 
uh, is just magnificent and she's such a brilliant like guide to how to to write and um she's she she i felt like she was telling me off when i was reading it like <laughs> she just, uh, all these different like, bits of advice it's, don't do this and don't do that and i'm like oh i'm doing all of that ursula i'm sorry <laughs> and then i went to go back and change it all it's funny you never get enough writers giving tips for writing so Mallory Blackman oh, yeah. who wrote Knots and Crosses mm. she is just in her autobiography that's coming out in a few years she's giving tips on how to write YA fiction which is like you'd never get enough of and it kind of makes it seem more democratic in a way yeah, yeah. definitely yeah it's really nice when that sort of stuff happens um, because yeah I've just I've just picked up um, Philip Pullman's uh, book which has got some I think it's called Demon Voices which has got some advice in there as well about writing fantasy and so on it's so it's just such a generous thing to do and I I don't know I think some writers feel as if they are like like they're almost like they're cheating like like they don't really know how they managed to get something published so why would they then be giving any advice to anyone yeah. else like don't listen to me we, I don't know what I'm talking about I just this is an accident it's luck it's luck <laughs> and some were a bit more like no I've got to protect my craft right yeah. I've, I don't I don't want any any young upstarts coming in and taking away all the awards that I want to win um, <laughs> so uh, but yeah but then you get people who are kind of like yeah come on let's um, let's share the love a little bit yeah. and 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 I, I don't know. I have this real belief that everyone, everyone has a writer inside of them, and and everyone has this kind of um, ability to be able to do it. And and we shouldn't really make it elitist. It should just be something that anyone can pick up a pen and start doing. I really like that because I had the worst two weeks ago when I was writing my chapter. I was just like, I can't write. I, yes. Why am I here? I'm not a writer. Even though I'm not writing fiction, obviously, you suddenly get to the moment where you're reading loads of great academic work, and you think that you are you've blagged it the whole way yeah. and you know I just felt everything I was writing was so basic and it wasn't beautiful but sometimes it doesn't actually need to be that beautiful it just needs to kind of make sense that's true very true um so we often ask our guests mm -hmm. um a funny story from their research so can you think of anything that you've come across which is I mean I'm always like when I'm meeting uh, I've met a lot of autistic people along the along the process of this obviously I've gone to lots of interesting places and met lots of interesting people and Autistic people always tend to make me laugh quite a lot. Like, not in a way in which I'm, like, laughing at them, but, yeah. like, laughing with them. Like, I'll give you an example of, like, the other day when I had this talk that I was doing this just the other day. There was a guy in the audience, autistic guy, who who was asking a lot, quite a lot of questions about Harry Potter, uh, which was great, and we were having this conversation about Harry Potter. And afterwards he came over and he was talking to me about Harry Potter and about, um, he was identifying like Hermione from Harry Potter as a potential kind of autistic character, and we were talking about that. Um, and then, uh, in a very quite typical autistic way really, sort of very quickly sort of switched over and said, okay, so what are, what are, your, what are your hobbies and interests? So that was the question he asked me, and I was like, oh, okay, well, um, apart from this, I'm interested in this, that, and the other. I said, I'm interested in animals and, and all this kind of thing. Um, and then he said, "Oh well, I'm interested in Lamborghinis." And he just got his phone out and he ch and he uh, put, got his like kind of pictures out on his on his phone and just showed me all of these pictures of the Lamborghinis that he'd been taking pictures of and ba the Lamborghini badge. And I was, and I was like, "And I've got no interest in Lamborghinis or cars whatsoever." But I was like looking at this, thinking, "Great, yeah." And he was showing me all the different models of Lamborghini. And this was like right after this big talk that I'd just been doing, and people were kind of milling around wanting to talk about it. And he was showing me these Lamborghinis bikini pictures but it's wonderful and like I that's the sort of thing I absolutely love like just being 
you, you know, autistic people sometimes do struggle with kind of social communication, social interaction and so on, but they will often also just reach towards just their own interests, perhaps, like, like that, that Lamborghini thing. And if we're all a little bit more open about, like, like accepting that in and sort of being interested in that, it just makes the world a lot kind of nicer and richer and so i just learned a little bit about lamborghinis just off the back of this uh, this talk i just done yeah so my phd has been full of that sort of thing it's been um it's been really great actually in that respect i guess it's good you know your whole life doesn't always have to be and everyone you meet doesn't always have to be really you know linked to what you do yeah totally That's nice um, all right. Well, I think we'll finish it there. Great. Thank um, you. You've been listening to Not Safe Publication. Uh, remember, don't tell your supervisor what happens on the podcast. Stays <laughs> on the podcast. <laughs> Not Safe for Publication is a podcast made by and for humanities researchers at the University of Manchester. If you want to get in touch with us, you can find us on Twitter at NSFP Podcast or get in touch with us by email at nsfppodcast at gmail.com Our intro and outro music is Hat the Jazz by Twin Musicom <laughs>